Hi, and welcome to Healing Quest, your healthy lifestyle show. I'm Judy Brooks. And I'm Roy Walkenhorst. When we talk about a healthy lifestyle here on Healing Quest, we're talking about the natural options we all have to help us achieve optimum well-being. Well, thank you for joining us on this weekend before Thanksgiving. It is a special time of year, and above all else, we hope that you and yours are healthy these days. I'd say this Thanksgiving overall is looking better than last year, even though our world still has a lot of problems to deal with. So this is a time of year when gratitude and kindness are more in the spotlight than ever. And in fact, in my self-care segment uh, today, I'm focused on those two topics. And I think you're going to be surprised at all the research that confirms how good kindness and gratitude are for our mind and our body and our spirit. But for all the good things that come with this time of year, it can also be a difficult time for many people. I mean, first of all, we're talking about the extra work and stress that comes with this time of year. Great meals and get-togethers don't just magically materialize, unfortunately. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then right behind Thanksgiving comes the getting ready for Christmas. Uh, it's like a marathon that you're, uh, <laughs> that you're involved in. So this time of year can be, shall we say, a challenging season, and that's especially true for the 40 million Americans who suffer from an eating disorder like anorexia. So in about 10 minutes, Dr. James Greenblatt is going to join us, and he's a renowned expert on eating disorders. He's the author of the book Answers to Anorexia, and he wants us to know that eating disorders are a medical illness that can successfully be treated. He also wants us to know that ignoring them can be deadly. Because anorexia, for example, brings with it the highest risk of suicide of any psychiatric illness. And unfortunately, eating disorders have doubled in the last 10 years in this country. The good news is that Dr. Greenblatt has some excellent advice about how we can help anybody suffering from an eating disorder at this time of year when food is such a centerpiece of our celebrations. And also joining us today is one of our favorite musicians, and in fact, one of our favorite human beings. Gary Malkin is dedicated to making a difference in the world by creating music-driven media and experiences that inspire the heart and catalyze individual and societal healing. One of his latest projects is something he calls Music for Mindfulness, and boy, do we need more mindfulness now. So we're going to learn about that and have a sample of the new creation from one of the most talented people we know. And since thankfulness is such a big part of this time of the year, Judy's self-care segment is going to focus on gratitude and kindness and an aspect of it that you may find surprising. I'm talking about all the scientific research that's been done on how powerful gratitude and kindness are to keeping us healthy. And Judy's segment also includes one of our favorite songs by one of our favorite people, Olivia Newton-John. But first, we want to tell you about the surprising results of a global study into what college students these days are looking for in a life partner. Now, I, I was really fascinated by this study. The study was conducted by British researchers, and it was based on input from 2,700 college students from all over the world. The study's participants had eight attributes to choose from, and physical attractiveness, and financial prospects actually ranked two and three. Are you going to guess what the number one is? Okay, Surprise. the number one life partner attribute in the survey was 
kindness, which I just loved. I love that these young people consider that to be the most important thing. Also on the research front, we have some good news for cat lovers. (laughs) And that'd be us. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Scientists at Oregon State University report that they found that although cats have a reputation for being aloof, in fact, they form secure attachments to their human caretakers, much like dogs and infants do. The study's author says the majority of domestic cats are securely attached to their owners and rely on them as a source of security uh, plus food. Yeah, they always rely on you for food, right? I think that's true. I mean, I I love it. I feel really bonded with our cats. Oh, gosh. And, you know, cats have many fans in the U.S., not just us. The most recent figures show that 94.2 million cats are ruling the roost in U.S. households. Now, you know, I would have thought there were more dogs, but that compared with 89.7 million dogs. So more cats. In fact, 68% of all U.S. households have at least one pet, and our relationship with them is a constant source of affection, amusement, and mystery. Well, in full disclosure, our household includes two cats and one dog. (laughs) Uh, Luna and Merlin are the cats, and they moved in, oh, a little over 10 years ago, uh, soon after they were born on our property in rescue. And a very sweet golden retriever named Landy moved in a couple of years ago right before the pandemic lockdown. You know, sometimes it feels like Luna and Merlin and Landy are each, in, in their own way, taking care of us. So we hope you have some special animal companions on your Thanksgiving gratitude list. And before we run out of time in this part of the show, I want to know about a discovery you made. Actually, I want to share with our listeners details on a discovery you made on your recent trip to Manhattan. As regular Healing Quest listeners know, Judy and I are big fans of infrared technology for its health benefit. Well, we have an infrared sauna at our house, and we're extremely grateful for that because we think it's very effective in keeping us healthy, me especially, because I use it multiple times during the week, a little more often than Roy, but, you know, we try to get him in there too. (laughs) But, of course, you know, not everyone has the space or the budget to have a sauna like that at home. So in New York, I spent some time at a company that provides a great option for bringing the infrared technology home. It's called Higher Dose, and it's developed uh, several portable items that you can use. You don't have to have that that sauna in your home. They have one of the things that I really liked was they have a sauna blanket, and that means it's kind of like a I would I would say a sleeping bag. Yeah, kind of like a sleeping bag, and you get in it, and so your whole body is getting the benefit of the infrared. Um, mm-hmm. waves. So Sounds like a great place to take a nap. <laughs> it sounds like something I'd love to have. Uh, and they uh, and they have a lot of specials right now. And, and actually, the sauna blanket, I think you can get $120 off. And you can check that out at um, our website, HealingQuest.tv. We have a link to Higher Dose there. As you know, as we find things that we really like, we like sharing them with you. And we have a few affiliates on our site of, of products and and, uh, and actually some food items that we really believe in and that we use. And when I found Higher Dose and all of the products that they had, I was just really excited. Another thing that they have is a, a mat, which is a PEMF mat, P-E-M-F. And there they have a $250 off offer right now. So you want to go there and just check out their P-E-M-F mats. And another thing that I loved, and I want one of these, I'm putting it on my Christmas list, and that is the red light mask, which you put on your face, and it's it's uh, it's very good for obviously 
keeping your face uh, younger, <laughs> helping to deal with some of those aging things that happen. So I think uh, you, you'll find a lot of things there. Let's see. Can I just ask a quick question? Sure. So, uh, like, I, I'm I'm looking at uh, on the website uh, what we call the sleeping bag. It's a blanket. So, what they've done is they've been able to get the infrared technology, which in our sauna is panels on the wall. Mm -hmm. They've been able to actually miniaturize them and get them inside this soft surface. So you're getting all of the infrared benefit that we get in our sauna uh, at this house. You get it in that blanket. And it's obviously very portable, and it's something that is obviously a lot less um, expensive. As I read up on what you'd found at higher dose, it seems like you get an equivalent benefit from, oh, from okay. being in the blanket and from these other uh, delivery systems is what they are that higher dose has developed. Yes, and I think that that is absolutely true. Uh, you know, all of these wonderful things that are available to us now, you know, with the high tech that we're, we're experiencing, especially in the infrared world, it is, uh, we have seen that just blow up in the last three or four years in terms of how many people are aware of it today and how it's being used in spas and fitness centers and in chiropractors offices and different you know practitioners offices so now it's available to all of us to be able to take advantage of it and they have some really nice bundles which i think that you uh, will want to check out with some pretty steep discounts and that is happening up until the 29th of november so you can check that out up until then so go check it out i think you'll love it you know you won't have the experience that i had because when i was there i was actually able to uh partake of of one of their infrared saunas in these beautiful rooms that they create. So if you happen to be visiting New York City or actually Brooklyn, they have a couple of places where you can go and actually experience a lot of what they have to offer in a very relaxing environment. So anyway, that's my tip from New York. That, that was a great this is a great discovery out there. And it's exciting to know that that technology is, has been adapted to use in a smaller space, but also the benefits are very equivalent. I, I was very excited when I heard that because the more we examined the infrared technology, it could have a big impact on the health of this country if we could just have that technology more available to folks. And so this is a big step to making that happen. You're right. So. <laughs> Well, despite the many good things that come with the holidays, this time of year can also be painful and difficult for some people who all too often suffer in silence. We're talking about those who are dealing with the eating disorder of anorexia. Dr. James Greenblatt is a functional psychiatrist and the chief medical officer at Walden Behavioral Care in Waltham, Massachusetts. He's an expert on eating disorders. He's the author of the recently released book, Answers to Anorexia. And he's joining us now via Zoom uh, from his home in uh, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dr. Greenblatt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. You know, I, I, I think a lot of people don't realize how big a problem anorexia is today. So let's start there. Uh, sure. I mean, I think eating disorders is um is prevalent um uh, uh across the globe anorexia even though it's um a smallest percentage of all the eating disorders it is the most life-threatening and the highest risk of death of any psychiatric illness and the highest risk of suicide of any psychiatric illness 
So eating disorders, about 40 million um, in the United States, a uh, percentage of that, probably less than 10 million might have anorexia nervosa, but as a life-threatening illness, we need to make people aware of it and we can treat it and hopefully prevent it. Well, as Roy was saying in the opening, um, this is often a, a, a silent illness and, and many times people in your own family don't even realize what's going on or the people around you. I, I'm curious if this has gotten worse as a result of the pandemic. Uh, absolutely. I, th I think um, before the pandemic, we've know uh, eating disorder rates have increased. They've probably doubled over the past 10 years. So, and the pandemic um, has increased uh, as most treatment programs across the country, even in, in Europe, are completely full with waiting lists. And that was not the case before the pandemic. You cannot get your child into eating disorder treatment program without waiting. And that's sad. You say child, um, and I know Roy has a question for you too, but I'm just curious. You say child, um, how how young um, can someone be before they start developing a, a, an eating disorder? Um, you know, we see patients from age eight to 70, age 70. So it's not a disorder of childhood, but it's most common in adolescence. It used to be 16-year-olds. Now it's kind of averaging 12 to 14-year-olds. And we're admitting kids to treatment programs eight and ten years of age, meaning some uh, really uh, wow. earlier onset. What kinds of treatment programs are available? Well, there's um, you know many different programs. There's uh, outpatient uh, counselors and therapists and dietitians, and then there's day programs, and then there's uh, twenty-four hour treatment programs called residential and or hospital, people with medical complications due to the eating disorder where they need to be hospitalized. All of these programs are currently filled across the country. What, what's the success rate in terms of when somebody's identified as having an eating disorder, like anorexia, what are the chances that they can not have to deal with that for the rest of their life? Well, the short answer is, is pretty uh, dismal. Um, our success uh, is, is poor, outcomes are poor, relapse rates are high. And that was a major reason I wrote the book. Uh, I think um, a major researcher uh, in the eating disorder community wrote an editorial, the American Journal of Psychiatry, talking about this crisis of care and the lack of progress in 25 years. Hmm. Um, I'm only exaggerating a little bit in that I do believe it's successful treatment is attainable if we can get early uh, treatment. So if we can treat these kids as adolescents uh, before they become uh, young adults and have um, an anorexic diagnosis for 10 years, the longer someone has the diagnosis, the more refractory they are to treatment. If you're just joining us, I'm Roy Walkenhorst. And I'm Judy Brooks, and you're listening to Healing Quest. And we're speaking with Dr. James Greenblatt about eating disorders, uh, anorexia in, in particular, is one of the the worst uh, disorders you could have, and, and how that's affecting people might, how that might be affecting people over the holidays that are coming up. Any well, with, advice there? With food so much a part of the holiday season, I, I, I've got to believe this is maybe the most difficult time of the year for people who are dealing with anorexia as a part of their life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, treating patients with eating disorders over 25 years now, many um, 
uh, patients try to get into treatment. Uh, so they're in the hospital during uh, holidays. So they're not at home because of the stress. Um, when the, you know, every day of the year is a fight over food, food behaviors and, and eating um, and the holidays kind of, kind of put gasoline on that, uh, uh, you know, emotional fire. It's very, very challenging. And the most, um, you know, strongest recommendation I can make to families is just to um, stop the, you know, the food talk, to just try to emphasize being together rather than the food, either the eating or the not eating. Hmm, and that, that's interesting. Um, what, what role does anxiety play in anorexia and the other eating disorders? I would imagine a, a large role, but... I think by definition, uh, the anorexia nervosa, uh, our patients are consumed by a, what's called a pathological fear and anxiety. So the anxiety is so profound that eating or touching food or being around food or the fear of weight gain really dictates all the behavior and often the life-threatening behaviors of um, starvation. So anxiety is the underlying uh physiology of this disorder. So the holidays just, again, uh, trigger that overwhelming fear. The most important thing um, to share is that this is a biological-based illness. It's a brain illness of distorted uh, perceptions of the brain and uh, physiology is distorted. And um, so if we can kind of shift that connection and, and not blame the person, because it does appear like they're not eating because they're trying to aggravate or make somebody upset. And that's kind of the dynamic that has played out. But an important part of treatment is helping people understand nobody is to blame for this medical illness. Well, yeah, okay, so it's a medical illness. So what, I mean, you've been, you've been dealing with this for what you said, 30 years. What are some of the beliefs around what causes this? What causes someone to have this? Is it just a, a, a mal? A malfunction in their brain, or 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 does uh, your emotional life have something to do with it as well? I would think. Well, I think the most important uh, foundation would be genetics. We know there's a genetic oh. liability. We have studies going back many many years, but a major international study kind of proved to that. So we have a genetic vulnerability, and then the environmental insults. And and to me, my work is on nutritional deficiencies in puberty. So it's kind of the perfect storm between genetic vulnerability and these environmental factors, nutritional deficiencies being one. But as you mentioned, Judy, stress, trauma um, is another environmental factor that can uh, affect the development of an eating disorder. So, But I think I'm hearing you say that the diet uh, has uh, um, a significant role. And if the diet is adjusted, uh, can can uh, these eating disorders uh, be reduced? Well, I, you know, all, all eating disorders begin, or certainly anorexia, with a change in diet, either diet to lose weight or, or a um, change in diet because of a medical illness, or we're seeing a lot of a change to a vegan diet. So I'm very concerned about a vegetarian or vegan diet in adolescence where they restrict essential nutrients and not being monitored by a pediatrician or a dietitian, and that um, subsequent malnutrition can affect the genetically vulnerable adolescent. Wow. 
And it takes a long time, apparently, to undo the damage. If we don't treat it early and we don't treat it aggressively, it can be a long, protracted course of treatment, yes. One of the things that you also talked about, and we, we didn't you know, really go too deep into that, and that is to um, be permissive about uh, allowing your, your guests and someone that's dealing with an eating disorder to participate in games and activities. And, you know, I, I would think that creating other things other than talking about the food would be a positive thing. Is that correct? Absolutely. Part of the, you know, therapy and, and the healing process is, is relationships and connection and purpose and meaning. And, and our families provide uh, much of that. And so if we can appreciate um, each other as, as members of a family and not about a, a chicken or a turkey or um, <laughs> what, you know, how many calories are consumed, I, I think the holidays are a time to take a step back. I think the real one of the real challenges there is the uh, is the enormous amount of energy that's re frequently invested in the making of the meal and dealing with somebody who, for whatever reason, isn't participating in that is a very tricky thing. Absolutely. If um, you know your child or family members had an eating disorder for years, uh, you've probably been through it many holidays. And um, likely there's been struggles um, and, and conflict many holidays. And I think then uh, uh, what to prevent um, the family members from just avoiding uh, being with the family, it's always best to try to take, take a break from the, you know, the food dialogue. I think everyone would appreciate that, yes. And, and I think it's a great time to read this um, terrific book called Answers to Anorexia, because it seems to me you've you've written this for for everybody who is dealing with someone in their life who has this terrible disorder, this difficult disorder. Let's put it that way. So um, I guess that book is available at your on your website and uh, in bookstores. How can I find it? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, available everywhere. But certainly on Amazon. And it was just kind of our attempt to um, dispel a lot of myths and misinformation that's out there about anorexia nervosa. And the earlier we can address it and treat it, um, these kids can get back on normal track um, and live healthy lives. Thank you so much, doctor. Uh, we've been speaking with Dr. James Greenblatt, a nationally known expert on the topic of anorexia and other eating disorders that afflict almost 40 million Americans. Dr. Greenblatt is the author of the book, Answers to Anorexia. You can find out more about his work at his website, jamesgreenblattmd.com. And two elements that can play a big role in helping us stay healthy are music and sound. And today, we're fortunate to have with us someone who knows a lot about that. Gary Malkin is a seven-time Emmy Award-winning composer. He's a producer, a performer, a public speaker, and an experiential strategist. I, I find that very interesting. And the founder of Wisdom of the World Wellness. We love that Gary is so dedicated to making a difference in the world by creating music-driven media and experiences that inspire the heart and catalyze individual and societal healing. And that's just one of the things we love about him. In full disclosure, as we mentioned earlier, he wrote our Healing Quest theme music almost 20 years ago. We still love it to this day. 
So Gary is now joining us via Zoom from his beautiful home in Sausalito. Gary, welcome back to Healing Quest. Hello, Judy and Roy. It's so good to be with you again. It's always great to see you and spend time with you. Um, you know, you have made such a contribution to the world of wellness through your music over the past 20 years. I mean, before that, I mean, you were mostly doing um, movies and television and shows and that type of thing. But you, you know, you really moved into the wellness world. And one way you've done that is through your acclaimed CD book, Graceful Passages, that you co-created with another pioneer in this space, Michael Stillwater. And yes. yeah, that the music and spoken word were created to help people in transition. What advice would you have for our listeners about how they can use music and sound to soothe and heal during this time? Wow. Well, it's such a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me again in your beautiful world. You're, you guys are the pioneers of integrative health and solutions. So I just, your commitment to this space has been, well, it's legendary, frankly. So I'm honored to be with you. Um, you know, I, I've recently come into a new understanding that has so validated my hunches around what I've been focusing on in the last uh, 10 years in specific, but the first 10 years of this last 20 year period was really focusing on how we can listen to wisdom in a new way and how music can enable us to listen, not just with our ears and our mind, but with our hearts and souls as well. And it really awoken me to this new understanding that we carry different forms of intelligence. Every human being has more than just the intellectual, rational, linear intelligence. But we have, as we know from the work with heart math, we have the, the neurocardiology intelligence, the heart intelligence. We know about the gut biome and the gut brain. We know that intelligence. There's a lot of neurological proof that's going on. There's a lot of neurological functioning in the gut brain. And I believe that there's a body intelligence and a soul intelligence, right? So these are what I call the five portals. And we live in a culture right now that is experiencing the damages of having an imbalanced relationship with our five intelligences. Uh, the, the, the primary obsession that we have in our culture is that the only linear, linear, literal, credible way to communicate is through our linear minds and our words, right? Our rational minds. Right. And my, my theory is that the, 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 the reason why there is so much haves and have nots, so much aberration, so much uh, unwellness is largely because of these other four intelligences that have been sublimated, right? And so last summer, I heard a speech by Greg Braden, who I love. Oh, we do too. Who discovered, uh, and I don't have the science to quote this right now, but they do, and I'm going to get it from them. They discovered that the the unified field has, it, the quantum field, as Greg would call it, the matrix, right? right. Has inside of it, inside of it programmed unlimited healing potential. Now, one of the great things that's happening is I'm working on a film, uh, the sequel to the most watched documentary in history called Thrive. Mm -hmm. The first one was called What on Earth Will Thrive? What on Earth Will It Take? This one's called Thrive. This is what it takes, right? And the reason I bring it up is Greg was is f featured very prominently in the movie, and he talks about the fact that when you bring yourself to a state of stillness and equanimity, Hard math calls it coherence, resonance with the field. Sorry for those blurts. I'm going to turn my mail off. There you I mean, go. It's just too popular, Gary. <laughs> I'm, you know. I got to turn all these things off. Sorry. Hold on. 
When you create places of deep equanimity and stillness and connection to the field, just imagine this visual. And when I heard this, I literally, I just got so excited that I had to share in a like room of 2,000 people. And I said, oh, my God. So what happens is imagine that your mitochondria and your cells and your, and this is what you've heard from when you've been yes. interviewing people like this for 20 years. But I got it at a whole other level. Your biochemistry not only is inspiring, life-generating, uh, uh, immune-building biochemistries in the interstitial fluid of your cells, but your mitochondria are literally like plants searching for the light, right? So in the stillness and in the slowing down, the mitochondria naturally align to the wisdom of the field and to the healing energies that are available to everyone, right? And what I realized was in the last 10 years, I've been focusing a lot on setting spoken word to music mm -hmm. in a way that will allow people to absorb the words in a whole new way with, as I say, these multiple intelligences, right? Well, when you take the words away from these pieces of music that I've created with spoken word and you hear just the word, the music, it's as if the music has an entity inside of it. And most music that's written says, listen to me as a composer. You know, the composer wants to be expressed. He wants to be heard. Well, when you write music for spoken word and then you take the words away, it actually is music that instead of saying, listen to me, it's saying, listen to you listen to you right so to create music that in, awakens a process that will drop you into stillness and slow you down enough to let the heart gut soul and body intelligence catch up with the speediness of the linear mind it could be the greatest gift since sliced bread you know <laughs> so, so i suddenly understood that my mission was by taking the words out and creating music that slows us down, using the universal language of emotion to open our hearts, to let our mitochondria say, oh, wait a minute, there's words, there's words have stopped. The words have stopped. Hey, guys, we can come out now, you know? And literally, you awaken to the unlimited feel healing potential of the universe. And that's what my music, why I call music for heart-centered mindfulness. We've taken the crack in the door that the mindfulness movement has extended, and we're opening it wide open, right, for a heart-centered experience of mindfulness that allows all parts of our healing capacity to get fully online. And that's so that's what I'm doing. I'm doing on Zoom calls. I'm doing on gatherings. I'm doing music that you know, 90% of the world knows now about, I mean, those in the first world countries know that meditation is a life-extending life practice, right? But most people have a really hard time being in the emptiness. Yes. And that's the biggest problem. So it's like we all know from 30 years or 40 years of, of yoga that the shavasana is the point of yoga is to get the Western mind and the heart and soul to stop, right? So this music that I've developed becomes a really essential training wheels for stillness because stillness is the one thing that our addicted linear rational brains and culture have a hard time with, mm -hmm. right? So it turns out that the gift of being able to be in the unlimited space of being turns out to be one of the most health-supporting actions you can take to start your contemplative practice. That's what my focus is these days.
Carrie, can I we get a little it. sample of? Uh, oh yeah, let me show you. I love it. Um, and so, uh, let me just do this so it doesn't take a long time. Uh, I should have had it ready, but I'm here. It's coming. That's okay. Um, I, I'm going to show you an example of this where the music was created for spoken word, but then I then I took the word away. I have an example of spoken word. I'd love to give you a taste yes. of as well. Yeah. Yes, but let me do this, let me do this first since we're talking about this. If you're just joining us, I'm Judy Brooks, and I'm Roy Walkenhorst. You're listening to Healing Quest. We're speaking now with composer Gary Milken about a new way for music to connect us to healing energy. So what I do is, so when we're online, in, and I control the sound, I'll lower it. Now. This sounds like, you know, yoga music, right? So, but I created it for a meditation that the new, new people I'm working with create. But if you notice, if you really pay attention and stop thinking, solving, you know, this, this doing-being balance, this heart-mind balance is at the core of our health. So the idea is allowing music your autonomic nervous system so you, when you hear what's happening you naturally start to want to breathe longer deeper inhales and exhales I'll let it play for a minute so that's that's so that's one example. That is, I already feel more relaxed. <laughs> the other thing Gary's working on is a new musical form. It's called Transformances, designed to awaken our heart with gratitude and positivity. It's really very beautiful, and, and I found it to be very powerful. Now, you can find out more about Gary's work at the Wisdom of the World website. That's wisdomoftheworld.com. I think the homepage there says everything you need to know about what you'll find on that website. The headline is, quote, Music for a Meaningful Life. One of our favorite things in the store is Graceful Passages. And I remember when he created that probably 10 years ago yeah. or more, maybe. Uh, it's heartfelt messages from some of the world's internationally recognized wisdom keepers, such as the late Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Ram Dass, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he set their words to original music that he composed. Each track expresses love or forgiveness or appreciation of life and continuity of spirit from different perspectives and faith traditions. I know that these tracks have been used widely, frankly, in hospice care for end of life, but I think they're also very powerful and they have a lot to say to us on a daily basis. I remember many mornings you would be listening to them as a start to your day, which really, I think, uh, brought you into... Uh, Present uh, time. <laughs> yeah, but Brings it also you... brought you into gratitude. Definitely. I mean, I have my favorites on there that I like. But then the other thing is that that music is, it's two CDs. One is the music and words, and then one is just the music. So nice. you can listen to it without the words if you want to. And I do that often for meditating. And he also has these wisdom cards. Oh, yeah, and these are great. They're great. They're free 30-second video postcards with gorgeous nature footage, some with words of wisdom and music, and others the music Gary has created. Each postcard ends with a quote from 
Maya Angelou, who was one of my favorite people. And one of those quotes was, people might forget what you say or do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So the cool thing about these wisdom cards is they're only 30 seconds. And as I say, they're free, but you can just send them to somebody who you're thinking about and all kinds of topics. They're on forgiveness and they're on you know, gratitude. Um, they're just really a little wonderfully produced, very, very gorgeous in terms of both the visuals and the audio that you can just send to somebody you're thinking about if you wanted to give them a thought for the day. And, and right now might be a good time to do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think they'd come in real handy. Well, if you listen to us on a regular basis, first of all, thank you very much. You know our focus is the natural ways to help us all achieve optimum well-being. And if you've been listening in the last couple of years, you know I've been on a mission aimed at creating more ways of, I guess is, I would say, incorporating uh, more acts of self-care into my life and then sharing them with you. Well, as we were preparing for Thanksgiving this year and for this show in particular, I, I want to just take a little time to remind myself and hopefully some of you the impact kindness and gratitude has on our lives. For me, our children and grandchildren are at the top of my gratitude list, along with friends and acquaintances. But today, I want to talk about some other aspects of gratitude and kindness. You know, we like science and research here on Healing Quest, and, uh, and the science on gratitude is, is vast. I, I was amazed to find out how many scientific studies there are that actually claim gratitude helps us build stronger relationships. And given in the time that we're in, it's harder to keep connected to all of those people that are important to us. So right now, just having a gratitude practice, you know, might, according to this research, help us build stronger relationships. The studies also say that people who report being grateful also report having fewer aches and pains, and who doesn't want that? You know, one thing I was really surprised by was the big benefit uh, of a gratitude practice on the quality of sleep. And we know a good night's sleep is one of the most important things we can do for our health. And, and one study reports that those who express gratitude sleep better and longer. Gratitude produces more empathy. And if we ever needed more empathy, now would be the time. You know, putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and, and, and really trying to understand, you know, why they feel the way they do, instead of just being angry about it and creating more division, we would all be coping better with this situation we're finding ourselves in today. And another benefit of gratitude is increased resilience. And boy, I know we all need that right now. Uh, I think that what we're going through is actually building resilience in all of us, you know. So so I guess the proven benefits of gratitude are better health, better sleep, more empathy, and more resilience. And who doesn't want all of those things? So we at actually covered the benefits of gratitude on our television show uh, a few years ago with Dr. James Doty from Stanford. And you can see that interview on our website, HealingQuest.tv, and just search for gratitude when you get to our, our, our video library. I'll just give you a preview of one of the things he said that actually really blew me away, and that was having a gratitude practice actually has more health benefits 
than stopping smoking. And that's right, you heard me. That's what he said. And he has a, a lot of other gems in that interview, so you might want to really check that out. You know, I think gratitude and kindness go hand in hand, and studies show that kindness is good for us in so many ways we're probably not even aware of. For example, kindness can actually boost our pleasure. And that's according to research at Emory University. When you're kind to another person, your brain's pleasure and reward centers light up as if you were the recipient of the the good deed, not the giver. It's a phenomenon that they call the helper's high. And at UC Berkeley, researchers also studied the results of helping others. And what they found was that, oh, about half the participants in one study reported feeling stronger and more energetic after those helping acts. What I also found interesting was that many also reported feeling calmer and less depressed. And some even had increased feelings of self-worth. And, you know, I believe feeling worthy is, is a really important part of self-care. Now, another thing that's interesting is acts of kindness actually also lower our blood pressure, something a lot of us could probably use these days. Uh, Dr. David R. Hamilton says, acts of kindness create emotional warmth, which releases a hormone known as oxytocin. We've talked about oxytocin here on the show before, but what, what happens is oxytocin causes the release of nitric oxide. And nitric oxide dilates our blood vessels. This reduces blood pressure, and therefore oxytocin is known as a, a cardioprotective hormone. So kindness protects the heart by lowering blood pressure. That's a good thing. Now, just a little side note here. If you want to learn more about the benefits of nitric oxide, we have a couple of stories on our website, HealingQuest.tv. Just search nitric oxide in our video library and you'll find them. Since our bodies don't produce much nitric oxide after the age of 40, you may want to know how you can support nitric oxide levels for cardio and immune support. And finally, I came across an interesting observation by uh, Christine Carter, who wrote the book, Raising Happiness in Pursuit of Joyful Kids and Happier Parents. <laughs> I, I, can, I can only imagine that that would probably be a good book for a lot of the parents out there right now. Uh, she says people who volunteer and help others tend to experience fewer aches and pains. So here we go, that fewer aches and pains thing. And giving help to others, she says, protects our overall health twice as much as aspirin protects against heart disease. That's, that's a pretty big claim. Just to summarize, I, I'm recommending two things you can do right now for your self-care. And that's one, write down a few things you're grateful for this Thanksgiving and avoid the things that are bugging you right now. You know, give them a break for a few days. And two, be kind to yourself as well as others. That's what I'm planning to do. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think we all need to give ourselves a little break right now. Now, another thing I'm grateful for is music. So I want to leave you today with one of my favorite songs from one of my favorite people, Olivia Newton-John's title song from her CD, Grace and Gratitude. And remember, you can find a podcast of this and all Healing Quest shows on our website, healingquest.tv. I'm Judy Brooks. And again, for my partner, Roy Walkenhorst, we look forward to having you with us next week on Healing Quest right here on iHeartRadio.
to you.